Welcome to Teaching Brood. This is our fourth in our series of Genius Hour episodes, and in this episode, we're going to talk about the grading aspect, but also we're going to talk about the issues you may face if you choose to implement Genius Hour in your classroom. Yeah, and we're not just going to talk about what kid issues, we're going to talk about um, what internal issues you may have. So let's kind of dive in here. Um, the first issue, and I'm, and I'm thinking this from my personal experience, when I started get doing, uh, putting Genius Hour into my kind of life, I had to be very intentional about it. So the first thing that I have to do and a lot of people do is there's just no time. There never will be. No. And that's why you need to make it deliberate. Think of it like saving for a house or paying a debt. You know how a lot of people, like, whenever they get paid, they have a separate bank account, they just transfer money into mm-hmm. and it, just, it didn't exist that's kind of how you need to think of for the time for genius hour you put a part of your schedule as if it always existed sounds like good advice um, and so that 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 tends to be the biggest kind of objection to genius hour but if you carve it out it's not an issue because it always was there uh, the second one is I have curriculum to cover, so that's a big issue. <laughs> that's always an issue. It is always an issue. And the reality of that one is simple. Genius Hour is can be attached to curriculum, but the difference is it's done in reverse, where units are often built around standards or certain standards you need to cover. In Genius Hour, as a kid is doing them, you figure out what standards they are covering. And they do, too. You can find things called I can statements online, that are, um, in the case of the American Outcomes, they're the American Outcomes written in kid-friendly language. So they can get their heads around them, as well as you. So as they're going through a project, they can go, oh, I'm doing this one, and I'm doing this one. Or you can help guide them to see that. So would you have all of those I can statements in a place where the students could see them? Because I'm thinking that might be, I don't know, an entire wall of very small print. Yeah, that's a bit of an understatement, but yes. Uh, no, you you guide them to them. You kind of help them see that they are doing certain things. Um, and it's very much a student-teacher-guided thing. They'll just help them see what standards are covering. That is the truth. Um, next one is, the um, I had a misconception that was absolute lack of structure with Genius Hour, and you just let the kids go, and that's not really true. Um, you can give them parameters and guide, and you can have structure for the time. You do mini lessons, checkpoints, so that sort of thing. So it's not a free reign situation, and it's it's organized chaos. It's not disorganized chaos. Right. So somebody coming into your room might think that there's a bit of chaos going on, but the reality is you know exactly what each kid is doing and you know exactly at uh, which point they're at. Yeah. Um, and by doing that, not only does it kind of help, add, help your administration see if this is valuable, but it also helps become more manageable. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one is making too many assumptions. Uh, assuming the kids can't or can do things. Uh, favorite quote from Mark Twain, it ain't what you don't know that gets you in trouble. It's what you think you know for sure that just ain't so. That sounds like a quote that's wall-worthy. 
Oh, it's very well worthy. Matter of fact, the first time I heard it was on an inconvenient truth where Al Gore said it about uh, about the environment. Um, so I thought the kids would know how to ask questions, how to level up projects and make them take action on them, how to be creative and independent. And the reality is sometimes you just need to teach them those skills. This is true. So yeah, they've got to learn it somewhere. Yeah, so create those structures for them to help them see it and to help them do it. And if you've got a class that hasn't really done a whole lot of thinking outside the box and things like that, you might not actually need to put more structure into your genius hour. I certainly yeah. did with one of my classes. They're a group of students that cannot work without a really rigid structure because they've never had to do it before. And they just kind of fell apart. So I actually had to dial it back and be like, okay, I need you to fill out this reflection sheet on this day, no matter where you are. I need you to fill out this on this day. I need you to come and talk to me on this day. I had to build those checkpoints in. And that's just kind of, that's okay. Be, be okay with that. Some some classes will need more structure. Yep. Uh, another thing that I really thought originally was that, that all had to be individually done. It's not true. Collaboration and creativity all go hand in hand. You've got to let them kind of um, work in partnerships. If it's needed. I mean, it's not just working with friends. It, it can be this idea of if two kids are doing a similar topic, put them near each other so they can bounce ideas off each other. It tends to work out well. It does. And you know what? Life skill. Yep, absolutely. Uh, another one I thought was that it all had to be digital. No way. The analog is just as effective here, especially when it comes to taking action on something. If they're doing something about the environment, oftentimes their action point will be as making a statement about something or putting a poster around or something like that. It doesn't have to be a digital just presentation. It can be an actual action in their community. Plant more plants. Go on a tree build or a tree, tree planting thing. It, it depends on what the topic is and what the act, and what and what that action will be. But most actions aren't digital. They tend to be a productivity thing. Uh, they're actually doing something. It's true. One of my students decided to teach her mother how to play violin. There you go. I mean, from my background experience, those are the biggest misconceptions that we run into in your Genius Hour time. So we're going to talk about the grading aspect of your Genius Hour projects. Oh, the grading. The grading. You know, you go out and you have so much fun with the kids doing this, and then you got to grade it. A teacher's work is never done. Now, that's the thing. That's a good question. Do you have to grade it, and what does that look like? Well, my students, when I introduced it to them, I called it passion projects because being a music specialist, it had to be about music. So I didn't want to call it genius hour. Yeah. But the first question I got was, are we being graded on this? And, and, and these kids were 10. Yeah, and the reality is, I don't use it as a, like, you can use presentation rubrics and you can use informa informational writing checklists and rubrics on this sort of stuff to kind of give a formative assessment on the work. Mm -hmm. but the reality is most schools don't have it as a formal part of the grade. I, I can't name a single school that does. And if there's a school out there that is, please let us know. Um, maybe don't. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, it, what it more so does is gives you extra anecdotal, observational, informative data to reinforce skills that you have that have been taught 
that will be taught later in the year. If it's skills that will be taught later in the year, it almost gives you a bit of a pre-assessment or gives you an idea of what they can do and help, helps build them up uh, to a point where they can meet the grade level expectations if that's going to be a need. If not, you know they're meeting it and, that, and the new unit coming up will be easier. Yeah, you can fly by a few things, especially so, I mean, if you've got as many standards as you do. Yeah, so I mean, the reality is, if there is, there's no testing involved. No. But it does give you a chance to look at some of the skills that you may have done or will be doing and go, how is my kid doing with this? Yes. And it's really good from that perspective. But they get a bit of reassurance in that if there's a calmness in knowing it's not being formatively assessed, sorry, formally assessed. There's a calmness in knowing that they're not getting, you know, a time where they're going to get a piece of paper with questions. And the presentations get more relaxed because they know that it's not, yeah, you can make comments on Genius Hour in your in your in your report cards if you want. And I do occasionally, I don't have a formal point on it, but I may kind of go, this person has been doing this, the Genius Hour project, just to demonstrate the kind of things they've been doing. Yep, and I know for me, I lumped it all into the effort mark that we have on our report cards. Hmm. So if a student was meeting the various uh, deadlines that we had and they were engaged the entire time, then it was kind of like, it was almost like a pass-fail thing. It was like, you got 100% marks, no problem, done, go. And I had a couple kids who were like, what, we were supposed to do something? You know, they didn't do as well. Yeah, so it's, yeah, formal grading of it. I, I wouldn't be too concerned in terms of any sort of testing you want to do with it, but I would keep a genuine record, you know, anecdotal notes about where each kid is and what they're doing, just yeah. so that you can really see progress yes. in the skills beyond just the project. Yes, and I absolutely had, we, we kept digital learning journals yeah. um, as we were going through ours. And every week I sat down over several cups of tea and I left little comments on their learning journals so that they knew that, you know, I was actually interacting with them. And I had a couple kids, I asked the kids to write down what their failures were each week, what problems they had run into. And I had some kids going, oh, no failures this week. And I would write on there and say, oh, that's too bad. I'm sorry. Maybe next week you can have a failure on something and you'll be able to learn from that. And yes, there's a, there's, I mean, there's a million ways they can learn from their projects and what you can help them guide them to. Uh, I do, one key point in it, though, and, not, and, and it's not formally assessed, though, is getting them to reflect through the process. Yes. Um, I use Google Sites to do that. Uh, but you can use Seesaw or Flipgrid. There's a variety of digital tools you can use to help do that with. But it should be formally reflected on. And reflection skills can be taught inside the context of Genius Hour. That way they can have checkpoints for themselves mm-hmm. about how they want to, about how they've been doing. So it, it really helps for them to see how they're doing and for you to see how they're progressing. Absolutely. So, right. yeah, that's, that's pretty great. Yeah, for the grading part of it. I mean, it's not 
it's not as structured and kind of formal as we like, as we're used to, but it works. It really does. Thanks so much for tuning in on all of our Genius Hour Passion Project 20% Time episodes. Hope you got something out of it. And all of the resources that we mentioned, we will post onto our website, teachinggroup.com. Yeah, and uh, go try it out. Today, tomorrow, right now. If you're Monday. In- try it on Monday. Yeah, Monday. Or Sunday if you work in the Middle East. This is true. All right. Bye. Bye.